Well, I, I've, got, I've got a joke for you today. My jokes aren't as good as Dr. Lisa's, but I'm learning from her, maybe. <laughs> um, I got my phone here just to impress those of you who have this need to see me be more and more gadget, um, gadget what? Whatever. <laughs> I just have to learn how to get rid of these, um, rid of the, these things that pop up and block my view, you know, like, uh, oh, you're kidding me now. What? Uh, so, some of you are going to have to teach me how to get rid of, uh, uh, rid of these things. Oh, yes. Okay, you know what? Just, just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had it all, all set. I had it all set, and then, and, and then this, this, this crazy thing popped up all over it, you know, and uh, uh, I don't know if this is the Lord saying to me, uh, um, you know, thou shalt not tell this, or I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Here, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, okay. All right. Here, here it is, maybe. Here it is. Come on. Okay. Here it is. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi want to see who's best at his job. So each one goes into the woods, the minister, the priest, the rabbi. Each one goes into the woods, finds a bear, and attempts to convert the bear. Later, later, the priest, the minister, and the rabbi all get together. They get together, kind of review how everything went with the bear. And the priest begins, and he says, Well, when I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism, and I sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. <laughs> then the minister said, the minister said, I found a bear by the stream, says the minister. I found a bear by the stream and, and preached God's holy word to that bear. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. Wow. Well, they both then look down. They look down at the rabbi who is lying on a gurney. The rabbi is all beat up and bleeding and he, the rabbi is in a body cast. And the rabbi says, well, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with the circumcision. <laughs> uh, uh, so some of you might take, a, might take till next Sunday to figure that one out. But... <laughs> Or you can just ask Pastor Lisa after church. That's all. All right. Well, my friends, our theme today is what does Gethsemane teach us? We have been in a series, an Easter series of messages leading up to Easter uh, on the overall theme of days before the cross and the resurrection. And this is message number five. And today we especially want to answer this question, what does Gethsemane teach us? Well, let's see what happened in Gethsemane as we turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 36, where we read, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, 
Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And this is the reading from the New Living Translation of our Holy Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, what does Gethsemane teach us? What does this passage of Scripture have to do with our individual lives as we reflect upon what we have just read? Oh God, I pray that you would open up our minds and hearts to truth, to truth that you especially want us to know, to experience, to live out, to act upon let it be so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 My friends, we see Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a garden on the slope of the Mount of Olives by Jerusalem. The word Gethsemane probably means olive press. It means olive press. Essentially, Gethsemane was, was a garden of olives to which Jesus had permission to enter. And if you go on the Holy Land tour this fall, you will have the privilege of going into what they believe was and is the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we were there a few years ago, it was a very special place as we held a service there amongst, uh, amongst olive trees that were probably, from what we were told, 800 to 1,000 years old. So the Bible tells us Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the Garden with him. The time was likely very late on the Thursday evening or even probably, probably or possibly past midnight of the Friday when, when Jesus was eventually crucified. And so in this scene in Gethsemane, we see the sorrow of Jesus and the sleep of his disciples. We see the, the testing and at the same time the triumph of Jesus. And what does Gethsemane teach us? For those of you making notes, the first truth is this. Number one, find a place, find a special place for prayer. Verse 36 says, read it with me from the big screen. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. The Garden of Gethsemane was a very special place where Jesus went for special times of prayer. You and I can pray anytime and in any place. That is true. Still, it is good for us to have a special place for times of special prayer, a, a place where you can, you can feel that you can really connect, that you can really connect with the Lord. You know what I mean? And that, that place, that place might be your bedroom, or it could be your, your kitchen, the kitchen sink in front of it. Or it could, be, it could be some other room in your house or apartment or condo. Or it could be, your Gethsemane could be in your car or some special area at your workplace. 
Or it, it could be at this altar right here to the left and the right of me at the altar at the front of the church. Or in the spring, summer, and fall, your, your very special place of prayer might be beneath some oak tree or beneath some willow tree that just somehow you feel so warmed by being there and, and comforted. Uh, and, and, and it turns out to be such a wonderful place for you. It, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter where it is as much as it matters that you have a spot where you can say, where you can say as the hymn writer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escape the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Amen. Amen. Here's some beautiful thoughts about prayer. Charles Finney said, Prayer bathes the soul in an atmosphere of the divine presence. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Prayer bathes, think of the image. Prayer bathes the soul in an atmosphere of the divine presence. Boy, I wish I could make super great statements like that. Ethel Barrymore said, when life, when life knocks you to your knees, well, that's the best position in which to pray, isn't it? Ruth Bell Graham, wife of Billy Graham, and we thank the Lord for Dr. Graham who went to be with the Lord just very recently. His dear wife one day said, pray when you feel like it, for it is a sin to neglect such an opportunity. And she said, pray when you don't feel like it, for it is dangerous to remain in such a condition. Wow. Wow. My friend, if you don't as yet have a special place, especially for some earnest, special prayer, this week I encourage you, I encourage you to think about this and to find a place of prayer. Amen? Now, would someone maybe briefly, briefly like to tell us, tell us what is a special place of prayer for you? Take a moment. Uh, anyone want to tell us briefly what, what is a special place of prayer for you? Anyone want to tell us? Now, this, this can be a moment when, when, when Pastor Nick is, is like a hero or a zero, you know? It depends on your response. Any one of you want to tell us what is, a, what is a special place of prayer for you and just tell us why? It can be whatever place that is. Anyone? Okay. All right, my sister. Come on. Come on out in the foyer a little bit just so everyone can see how beautiful you look as always. Uh, I think, Jenny, I saw you, you, you too. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Okay, now keep the microphone really close to your mouth there. Okay. So tell us, what is a special place of prayer for you? At my bedside. Every morning and every night, every time I always sit, kneel by my bed in the morning when you're sleeping. Yeah. I get up early and I kneel to my bedside. And I pray to God and ask him for health and strength and everything. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. Uh, who else? Who else finds your, your, your bed uh, a, a great place? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, others of you? Wow. Yeah. As long as you don't pray, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> and start snoring, eh? All right, all right. Jenny, Jenny? I would have to say my car because I leave home very early in the morning for work, and um, I just spend a lot of time in my car, so that's when I, um, that's my special place. Yeah, you know, Jenny's incredible, like a lot of you ladies. Tell, tell them what time you leave for work. Tell them, come on. Sometimes at four o'clock in the morning. Duh, they didn't hear you, they didn't hear you. Sometimes at four o'clock in the morning. All right, and praise God, she never falls asleep in church. 
despite her getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Give them a hand, would you? Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Whatever it is, wherever it is, may it be a special prayer time, a special place of prayer for you. Okay? All right. What does Gethsemane teach us? Here's our second truth. Here's, here's what else it teaches us. Number two. All right. Brother Rook, please keep good notes here. Give this outline to your pastor so your pastor can preach it next year, brother. Don't charge him for the outline. <laughs> Tell him it's free gift from Pastor Nick. <laughs> All right. Number two. Do your best to be a great source of prayer support and comfort for someone who is in need. Amen? This truth comes through um, verses 37 to 44. Think about it. Why, why did Jesus take Peter, James, and John with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? I believe it was mainly, mainly because Jesus wanted their prayer support and comfort. Does that make sense to you? Yes? Those of you at the back there, does that make sense to you? Ha <laughs> oh, That's great. It made sense to a four-year-old. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, I don't know whose voice that was, actually. Yeah. Make sense to my friends up in the balcony? All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I want you to notice verse 41, those words Jesus said, keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray. My friends, at different times in your life, there will be people who need you, who need you to be their, their source of prayer support and comfort and encouragement. It, it might be one of your family members. It might be someone at work or at school. It could be one of your neighbors, right? It could be someone in our church. This past week, one of the ladies of our congregation, Leona, Leona had major surgery. While speaking with her at the hospital, uh, Leona, bless her heart, Leona said to me, Pastor Nick, Pastor Nick, there, there have been so many, so many people from the church who have phoned me to, to, to just tell me that they're praying for me. I am so thankful, Pastor Nick, that so many have phoned me or, or communicated with her in one means or another to tell her that you've been praying for her as she went in for this very major operation. And I'm happy to tell you that she came through that surgery in a wonderful way, and uh, she, is, she is progressing, and unless there's been some change that I don't know about, uh, she has been scheduled to leave the hospital, possibly on Tuesday. So we praise God. Now I know that many of you, I know that many of you take the weekly prayer list that is in the bulletin, and you earnestly pray for those requests. And I say thank you for doing so. Please keep that up. Thank you for praying for the many requests on our bulletin sheet. Let us all seek to be a great source of prayer support and comfort for someone who is in need. In 1 Peter 3.12, we read these words. The eyes, read it with me, would you? The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. Isn't that beautiful? His ears, the ears of the Lord are open to their prayers, to our prayers. The ears of the Lord are open to your prayers up in the balcony, dear friends. Mind you, you're closer to God, so he hears you maybe even better. The ears of the Lord are open to your prayers for those who bless me and sit as close to the front as possible. 
The ears of the Lord are open to your prayers, radio listeners and internet listeners. Amen. Amen. My heart says hallelujah. When I read this verse, when I read this verse, the eyes of the Lord watch, watch over those who do, do right and his ears are open to their prayers, my response was hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, there's a third truth I want to take your attention to as to what does Gethsemane teach us. And this third truth is this. At times, people close to us may not appear to be giving us the support we need. Be patient with them anyway. Some of you are thinking, do I have to? Stick with me, would you? Jesus had asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him. But look at what happened. Look at what happened beginning in verse 40. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And look at verse 43. When Jesus returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. Obviously, Peter, James, and John were not giving Jesus the kind of support he asked for. And what, what really touches my heart, now think about this, think about this. What really touches my heart is how patient Jesus was with them. Do you see that? Pastor Lisa, Jesus is patient with us. You think your mother is patient with you? <laughs> I was waiting for a, I was waiting for some comment from her mom. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Auchar. <laughs> we have a difference of opinion here. <laughs> we'll pray about it in Gethsemane. <laughs> right? But it's, it's marvelous how patient Jesus was with them and how, how patient Jesus is with you and me. And it's incredible how patient Jesus is with those people down in Guyana and down in Barbados, down in Haiti, down in Jamaica, over in Brantford, God's country. Amen. Where's my little amen corner there? <laughs> yes, Jesus is patient. You know, it's almost, it's almost as if Jesus says to them, to these uh, disciples, it's almost as if Jesus says, I understand your difficulty in staying awake. When he says in verse 41, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Why is it? Why is it that sometimes people close to us may not appear to be giving us the support we need? By the way, I, I'm not just talking about just prayer support, which is paramount. I'm not only talking about prayer support. I'm, I'm talking about prayer and support in general. Why is it that sometimes people close to us may not appear to be giving us the support that we, we wish would happen? Well, obviously, in the case of Jesus and his disciples, they were failing him because it was very late in the evening and, and they, were, they were tired out physically and probably tired out emotionally. They, they didn't, I don't think they meant to disappoint Jesus. Does that make sense to you? I don't think they meant to disappoint Jesus. So why, why is it that on occasion people close to us, to you and me, may not appear to be giving us the support we need. 
Well, sometimes it might be because of their own, of their own fatigue, right? Sometimes that might be why. For example, suppose, suppose a wife gets home from work. Suppose a wife gets home from work and sits down on the couch. Suppose the husband gets home a few minutes later and he says, hi, hi, sweetheart, to his wife. His wife immediately says, well, honey, honey, honey I've had a splitting headache all day long. My bones and muscles are aching all over. Ladies, have you ever been in that condition? Yeah, so you know what it's like, right? You know, I've had a splitting headache and my bones and muscles are aching all over. You know, I think I, think I have the flu and my job was so busy and so stressful today, I didn't, even time, I didn't even have time for lunch or even time for a break and I am just totally wiped out Dear husband, and as the wife says that, she is also she is also assuming, she is assuming the husband is going to take the initiative. She's assuming the husband is going to take the initiative to make supper for her and the kids. Uh-huh. She's assuming he's going to clean up the kitchen. Uh-huh. She's assuming he's, he's going to do some laundry that absolutely needs to be done by tomorrow. Amen. <laughs> She's assuming he's going to drive their daughter or their son to the music lesson that evening. And she's assuming he's going to say, sweetheart, can I bring you a cup of tea or coffee or some other warm drink? And instead, instead... Perhaps the husband says, well, sweetheart, I'm, I'm sorry you're not feeling so well. And, and he leaves the room. He leaves the room. I, I get the feeling some of you have gone through this. An hour, an hour or two later, an hour or two later, one of the children uh, goes over to the mother and, say, and says, Mommy, Mommy, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. When are we going to have supper? And the, the mother says, darling, darling, I'm feeling very sick, baby. Your, your, your dad, your dad is making supper, and, and it'll probably be ready any minute now. But mommy, but mommy, I've been playing in the kitchen, and I haven't seen daddy in the kitchen since he came home from work. I don't see him there. The mother, the mother starts calling out her husband's name. And she says, sweetheart, where are you? Where are you? There's no answer. There's no answer. So she, she picks up, she picks up her aching, feverish body and starts looking for her, her handsome husband. And the man she assumed would get supper ready, the man she assumed would clean up the kitchen, would do the laundry, would drive their daughter to her music lesson and more, the wife starts looking for him, and behold, there he is. There he is. There he is. She found her knight in shining armor asleep asleep in front of the television set. Right? At least she found him. Right? Did he mean to be indifferent to his wife's illness and struggle? Did he mean to be that way? No. Speaking on behalf of us men, of course not! No, but perhaps like Jesus' disciples, he was tired out himself, and it can happen, and it, it has happened, hasn't it? And uh, some of you, some of you husbands are thinking, you're thinking, Pastor Nick, has my wife been talking to you? <laughs> no, she hasn't. But sometimes fatigue 
might be the culprit which hinders us from being supportive. Uh, sometimes it can be busyness. Other times it might just be thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. Ladies, don't, don't, don't hit us too hard. Sometimes, sometimes speaking on behalf of the male kingdom, sometimes we men can just be thoughtless. I don't know if silence is golden <laughs> at this moment, but sometimes, man, let's just be honest. Come on now. Sometimes we, we, we maybe are just thoughtless. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Uh, Angie, Angie, you're, 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 you're groom-to-be. He doesn't fall in this category because he's always thoughtful. He's thoughtful, he's thoughtful. Yes, I know that, she's going like this. Yes, we're looking forward to their wedding coming up in April, amen? Amen. Yes, uh, sadly on occasion, you know, it might be indifference, indifference, but hopefully that's not too often. Here's another, here's another example. On occasion, a person, a person has been sick for a very long time, um, on occasion, if a, if a person has been sick a long time, it's possible that that person may, may start to feel like he or she is not receiving the support they need from the family or from friends. And, and most of us, think about this, most of us are good about responding to needs that are short-term. But when there's a need that goes on for months or years, it's a major extra challenge, isn't it? And here are some thoughts that can help us in this regard. Let's, let's make an extra effort to help and support someone even when it involves months and years. And if, if you are the person, if you are the person that needs that long-term support, that long-term help, encourage your family or friends by saying something like this, saying something like, you know, you were there for me when my tough time first started. And one year later, it means even more to me that you're there for me. You're there for me and you're supporting me in prayer and through all that you do for me, even a year later or a year and a half, whatever. And my friends, as I speak these words, as I speak these words, my heart is honestly deeply touched as I was thinking about this truth. My heart was deeply, deeply, warmly touched as I reflect upon how I have seen so many of you give incredible, uh, wonderful prayer and practical support to a family member or, or friend. Support not only for a few days, but for many months and, and years. Susan, Susan, you were there. You were there for your husband, Donald, in sickness and in health. Jenny and Faisal, you were there for your dear mother, Rose, when Percival died, when your sister died, and when your mother became so ill, weak and frail, and suddenly went to be with the Lord. Jenny T., you, you, you were there, you were there for your husband Charles through his heart attack and in the weeks that have followed. Ernie, you were there, you were there, you were there for your dear wife Jacqueline as she battled, as she battled cancer and was, was and is a woman of such great faith. And others, are, others of you, others of you, are pouring yourself into the ongoing care of a child, of a child who is disabled, or, or of a parent who can no longer care for himself or herself. And that's been going on not only for weeks, but months and years. And I want to commend you. I want to congratulate you for persevering through so much. It is true that sometimes people close to us may not appear to be giving the support we need, but praise God, praise God, as, as I have thought about our church family and as I look across the congregation today, I can tell you, I can tell you of so many more wonderful stories and wonderful people who have given and are giving the support a family member or friend needs. 
And I, I say to you, give yourself a hand. I want to give you a hand. Church family, give, give these dear folks a hand who have persevered in prayer support, in practical support for family members or friends through months and years of, of great hardship. Congratulations. Congratulations, my friends. Let's go to our fourth truth. What does Gethsemane teach us? Teach us. What, does it, what does it teach us? Fourth truth. Read it from the big screen with me. It is human for us at times to plead with God to spare us some particular hardship. Jesus says in verse 39, the last part of it, he says, Yet I want your will, as he's praying to God the Father, he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What did he mean? What did he mean? Jesus knew that soon he would be crucified. And he says, essentially, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Uh, actually, I should have read the, first, the, the, the whole part there, verse 39. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully human and fully divine. And we can understand, we can understand the, the, the human part of Jesus pleading with his heavenly Father, pleading with his heavenly Father not to have, not, not, not to, have to bear the suffering on the cross. None of us, none of us would want to die nailed to a cross. That's, that's, that's simply the way it is. There are also other occasions when you and I feel like pleading with God to spare us from some particular hardship. Sometimes you or a family member or friend have perhaps lost your job, lost your job at the worst of times, and, and, and you've wanted to say, you've wanted to say, or you did say, God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you spare me from this hardship? And other times you or someone close to you has become ill or you've been in an accident or there's been some tragedy and it's okay, it's okay for you and me to be honest with God and to say to him, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And just over a year ago when our 29-year-old son Jeremy needed to have a major heart operation, I wanted to say, Lord, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. From Jeremy. That's in part what Gethsemane teaches us. Here's a fifth truth to chew on. No extra charge for this fifth truth. Ultimately, you and I must be willing to surrender to God's will. This, of course, comes from the latter part of verse 39 where Jesus says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then look at verse 42, again it comes out there. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. Years ago, believers used to say that every Christian life must have its own Gethsemane. Now, just, just out of curiosity, how many of you, how many of you remember years ago people saying every 
Every person needs to have their own Gethsemane. Any of you remember that? Any of you? Any of you? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Well, three of you. <laughs> three of us. See, it's a reminder to me never to take for granted that the majority of people would know a, a phrase or a statement from years back, even though I'm fairly young, you know. But years ago, that's what was said, that every Christian life must have a Gethsemane. In a sense, that is true. At some point, at some point, we must take up the cross, consent to the death of, of, of self-centeredness. Did you hear that? Consent to the death of self-centeredness and abandon our lives, abandon our lives, I say, abandon our lives wholly to the will of God. Amen? And so have you said, have I said, have you said, Lord, thy will be done in my life. Back just over nine years ago when I discovered I had that cancer, I, came to, I had to come again a fresh way to that point where, where I, I, I said, Lord, thy will be done in my life. When I was first diagnosed, I knew about that particular cancer. I knew I had several funerals with people who had that cancer. I knew, I knew what was possible. And ultimately, I had to surrender and say, Lord, thy will be done in my life. And nine years later, I'm a still a kicking, man. I'm still kicking. I'm still kicking. And I still have as much energy now as I did before nine years ago. If you don't believe that, too bad. It's a simple truth. Amen? Have you said, Lord, thy will be done in my life? I surrender all. I surrender, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender to you my will. I surrender to you my rights, my wallet, my time, my gifts, my lifestyle, my children, my grandchildren, my present, and my future. And my friends, as we look ahead to Easter and our Easter World Missions offering, more and more of us have to surrender our wallet to reach our World Mission goal of $60,000. Amen? Beloved, Gethsemane marks a place in time of full surrender. Have you experienced your Gethsemane? Do we have that on the big screen? Read it with me. Gethsemane marks a place and a time of full surrender. Have you experienced your Gethsemane? There's a a beautiful chorus which says, not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thy will be done, Lord, in me. Not my will, but thine. Sing it with me. Not my will, but thine. Not my will, but the <coughs> be done. Lord, come and lead it. Uh, uh, George, come and lead it. <coughs> my, my throat's been a little bit of a challenge today. Lead it, George. <coughs> yes. Anthony, thanks for coming to the, the keyboard there, brother. Not my will, <coughs> but thine. Not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thy will. Be done, Lord, 
within me. May thy spirit divine fill this being of mine, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord, in me. May that be, may that be your prayer and your wish and mine. And I take you now to this sixth fantastic truth, and it is this. Prayer, read it with me from the big screen. Prayer empowers us to face life's heartaches and battles. Yes, look at verse 45 and 46. Then he, Jesus, came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Why? Why and how would Jesus say, rise, let us go. Uh, let, let us go to meet my betrayer, Judas. How, how could he face the heartache of being betrayed by one of his disciples? And even greater still, how could he face the agony of the cross? And the answer is prayer. Prayer. Prayer equips us to boldly go where we have never gone before. Amen? Can you picture the scene? Can you picture the scene in Gethsemane? I think some years ago I asked you to picture this scene. Picture it. Jesus on his face praying. And Judas on his feet betraying. Oh, oh. Jesus on his face praying. Judas on his feet betraying. What an agonizing scene. What an agonizing scene, what a contrast. And I say to us, prayer empowers us to face life's heartaches and battles. And my prayer is, my prayer is that God would empower you to face whatever operation you need in the future. My prayer is that he would empower you to conquer, to conquer your battle with bitterness or booze or whatever addiction you might be wrestling with. May prayer empower you to be victorious over some, some nagging family problem. And may prayer empower you to not allow someone who has betrayed you to scar you for life. Prayer empowers us to face life's heartaches and battles. Amen? Is there an amen in the house? Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's incredible what we, what we learn from Gethsemane, what Gethsemane teaches us. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would help each one of us here to find a, a special place of prayer if we don't as yet have that special place for prayer. And Lord, may you remind us to be a great source of prayer support and help and comfort for someone who is in need. Lord, 
remind us not to just turn, turn the other way, to turn our, 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 our head away and pretend we don't see the need, but rather inspire us and motivate us to be a great prayer support and a great comfort in practical ways. And Lord, at times when people close to us appear not to be giving us the kind of support we need, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be patient anyway, to be loving and patient as Jesus was. And I thank you for the many who do show, have shown love and prayer support and all kinds of support for family or for friends through their agonizing times, through their tough times, through their times of great need. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful way in which so many have been a blessing to someone. And Lord, help that person, help that man or woman who has wrestled with the whole issue of, of saying to you, oh God, if this cup can pass from me, please let it pass, Lord. I, I, don't want, I don't want to go through this hardship. I, I don't want to go through this pain. Lord, give them a peace knowing that it, it's human. It's human and it's natural. It's, it's okay for us to pray that way. It's okay for us to feel that way. But ultimately, ultimately, we recognize that we want to surrender to God's will. Oh, oh Lord, I, I pray, I pray that you would help, 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 help some of our people here today to ultimately surrender to the will of God, your will for their lives. Help, Lord, those listening by radio to say, Lord, I surrender my, my will to your will. Thy will be done in my life, Lord. Let it be so. Let it be so, Lord. And then, dear God, I pray that you would, you would just, you would help others, help some others to be strengthened and emboldened through prayer, through prayer to face life's heartache and battle, whatever that might be for him or her. As Jesus was strengthened in the Garden of Gethsemane for the battle that, that lay ahead, may you strengthen our people here for whatever battle has come or is coming their way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.